0: We got to Strawberry Lake later that summer and you know I started going out in the woods outside of the the campground area and telling my parents and I was seeing monkeys in the woods. His eyes turned red, glowing red, when he beat his chest and it was the loudest Most, um, it was terrifying. I didn't know what, and when he opened his mouth, I saw those teeth in the back. I knew right then and there that wasn't an orangutan. I turned and started to run. I might've got out in time. No sooner than that, he grabbed my ankle. This is the Cryptid Creatures podcast. I am Brian and with me as always is my co-host Todd. What's up, buddy?
1: Brian, my friend, as you know, we have an awesome encounter coming on tonight.
0: I know. I know. This is exciting.
1: This is definitely going to be probably one of the best encounters we've ever heard and our listeners probably Mm -hmm. ever going to hear on the show. This is incredible.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They are going to be blown away. I was.
1: We heard Randy tell this story. Uh, before on on uh, youtube and, and maybe a different podcast and we got a hold of him and talked to him and talked to him into coming on to be on the show and so we know that this is going to be a longer episode so we're going to break this up yeah. into part one and part two for the listeners we don't want him to have to sit for two hours and try to get all this in and we'll break it no, up no for kidding
0: because that's a that's a long time Yep. So. there's a
1: lot to a lot to cover with randy so this can be great so let's not waste yeah. any more time let's bring him I on yeah man yep let's get him Randy, thanks for coming on and talking to us today.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure.
1: We really appreciate it. We know you've had an awesome encounter, and uh, really glad to have you on and talk about it today.
0: Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, I guess it's an awesome encounter, but it has a really bad ending. So,
1: <laughs> Well, this happened in Michigan, right? You grew up in Michigan?
0: Yeah, this happened uh, in West Michigan, basically, uh, central to mid-West uh, Michigan. Yeah, this is where I grew up. All right. The encounters really started at Strawberry Lake at this uh, campground in uh, Everett, Michigan, near uh, Reed City. And uh, I do believe the the little juvenile Sasquatch that visited me, me and other kids there followed me home somehow.
1: Well, why don't you start and take us into how it started and what happened? Yeah.
0: Well, how it started is we ended up at this campground over in, uh, like I said, over in Everett. And when I was a kid, this is, I was probably eight years old and uh we had just visited uh that winter uh with my relatives and like tarzan zubini and some circus and we got in um as some sort of relatives shirt relatives and we uh i rode the elephants and they had a couple of chimps there but uh there are some other animals that i had interaction with but um I don't know if that had anything to do with anything, but um, when we got to Strawberry Lake later that summer and, you know, I started going out in the woods outside of the the campground area and telling my parents and I was seeing monkeys in the woods, they just thought I was seeing raccoons. But uh, things picked up rather quickly out there and they thought I was, um, uh, we went there and let let me, let me, we went there twice that summer and uh, the first visit, I started seeing a you know started seeing them and I had some interaction with them and we're only there for uh, what was it a weekend or something and later that uh, summer we came back in August and we stayed for uh, uh, a week and that's when there was a lot more interaction and um, there was the logging incident which I'm just working on now and, uh, and my parents didn't believe me after after that first encounter there at Strawberry Lake when we went home and I told them and you know like I said they it was raccoons when we went back later um i had made friends with some of the people that were staying there i'll try to keep this part as short as possible um but it it turned out this so-called chimp was playing with the other kids after i was gone from that time period from like say uh mid-june or uh to august when we came back and these other kids that i had talked to over there said they were playing with it and they named it sammy and one of their mothers had seen it and found an article, and I've been trying to find this article, too, about, you know, this lost chimp they thought was a chimp from some circus that it went through. And I figured, as an eight-year-old kid, well, this is the circus that I, you know, met these people, and I already know these chimps, and you know, I didn't have any fear of them. Finally, uh, you know, my mother tried to get them on video of in that August after she had talked to uh, one of my friend's mothers and and said that she has been seeing them, and She started seeing, but the the weird thing is, is uh, my friend's dad and my dad never, ever saw them. And they thought we were playing some sort of big joke on them. Um, For some reason, the adult males never got to see these juveniles. And we never saw the adults. We just only saw these little juveniles. And there was four of them. And (laughs) these people actually thought, you know, these chimps were out here and they reproduced and somehow survived out here. Because that's about the size they were and what they look like. These are black. But we didn't go back again. That you know, we ended up moving in like uh, the following year, out to the country to the farmhouse, and that's when things started happening. But we didn't we didn't move out there until uh, October. You know, there wasn't any activity there And the barns. Didn't go out there much over the winter, so the activity started. The you know, the following summer, we had this old uh, farmhouse that had at that had four barns on it. Uh, one was a chicken coop, one was a milking barn, one was a cooling barn, and a big A barn there was a creek running behind the house and another thing that kind of added to the possible um, reason why they were there was um during that that like the early 70s to the like the mid 70s there was a pbb poisoning with the cows that the cows were getting sick and dying and the, the state didn't figure out exactly what it was the feed was mixed up with some fire retardant in the in in the feed and They were both marked f and all these cows were getting sick, so the state had the these farmers put these cows an area away from the other cows, and when they died, and they would go pick them up once a week in a steak truck and go put them in a mass grave up north in Kalkaska. It just so happened that the farmer was dumping the cows behind my barn on his property, you know, uh, there was a you know, cornfield on the other side of this creek that ran behind my barns, and uh, my dad saw him feeding off there one time, but he didn't tell anybody about it, and he uh, Things started accelerating after there. There was more encounters of me seeing them around and uh, following me around, following me down to the neighbors about a mile um, south from me where their nearest kids were. And we started playing. Well, I started playing down there, and uh, one of the kids started seeing him down there. And uh, he kept on disappearing, and we just, uh, we just thought he was nuts <laughs> for a while because he said he was playing with an escaped orangutan. I don't know why he went from um, a chimp to a orangutan. He seemed to have a little bit little, little bit more of a um, reddish-brown tint to him. I don't know if we're just seeing him in the sunrise right, or if they change color when they get older. I just can't imagine me having two juvenile Sasquatch friends. I figured somehow he found me, and uh, he was hanging around, and he would follow me down in the neighbors and uh, doing just like he did at Strawberry Lake and playing with the other kids that just led up to a whole bunch of problems eventually. There was a certain point uh, where uh, us kids were playing down there and the one kid was going off by himself in this cornfield. And you know, like I said, we didn't think he was actually seeing anything. We thought he had an you know, imaginary friend. So the rest of us kids, there was, uh, there was three of us, there was four including Tim and the other two older kids took off by themselves. They did their own thing. We're playing around one day and Tim the kid that was watching the cornfield for this uh orangutan wasn't hanging around this much the other the other three of us were playing around down by the creek and we end up trashing uh a bunch of grass down there making it a mud muddy mess down there and we were wrestling around and their dad came home and yelled at us for it and so I didn't come down there for quite a few days and it was getting uh towards the end of August and uh this was uh this was also after the other encounters that I, I, I just skipped over. Um, there was an encounter before this started to happen down uh, at the neighbor's house, where I, uh, one of my friends that I'd met just as I'd move out there during the summer, we rode up to the um, the woods, and there was that encounter where we met these other kids out there, and one of the one of the boys was taken that night. Happened to be named. His name was Mike. And uh, I think that's how the juvenile Sasquatch got his name. How there's so much to this. I'm sorry I skipped around this so much. But um, this is when all the weird stuff really started happening. I guess it it was before the, you know, the the stuff at the house with the kid watching the cornfield. This was before that. And we'd went up there and camped overnight. And I don't know why 9- and 10-year-olds would be allowed to do this. But back then, I guess things were different. And uh, when we went back to get our gear after we met these kids in the woods and they were already setting up camp, we couldn't find them when we got back because we took so long. It was getting it was getting dark and we set up camp nearby. And then when it got dark and not too late after it got dark, it must have been about 11 o'clock or so, because I remember after we got scared, uh, we got back before, you know, my parents even went to bed. They were watching the 11 o'clock or news or the Tonight Show or something It was about that time. But what happened was um, they started screaming. The other boy started calling for the the boy, Mike, that was taken. And we thought he was calling us and messing with us. But um, we heard a bunch of other noises and we got pretty scared. We left all our gear there and uh, we left and came back and get it in the morning. And when we came back and get it in the morning, there was a search team out there. The news, uh, a local news crew, Channel 13 uh, News, was out there interviewing this other kid, Russ. The older boy that didn't get taken, and he was telling the news that some hairy bum had taken Mike. And uh, they had uh, people on horseback. They had all sorts of people walking the woods with uh, uh, loudspeakers and and uh, dogs out there and everything. They did find the boy Mike uh, later that day with no clothes on, and he was pretty shaken up. He couldn't even talk for the rest of the day, but he was okay. Um, that's when I first met this guy that called himself john redcorn which uh was one of the agents that uh yeah i know it, john redcorn everybody refers to that cartoon but uh, john Redcorn's a really common name indian name and he used that as his um, his real name was uh jerry i can't tell you his last name because he's still alive he was a wind talker uh for the korean war and the vietnam war and then he got into this uh you know, I find this out later, but, uh, anyway, he comes, he comes out to see us and we wanted to get our gear while this, um, this was going on where they're searching for this kid. And he told us we couldn't go in there that he was going to bring us our gear, you know, to our house. And he didn't. And, uh, that wasn't the last time we we're going to see him obviously, because, um, you know, they got involved in that search. The government was already, you know, wise to something going on. So when this other thing happened, when I'm getting to, when we're, Down there playing at my friend's house, and I came back after uh, we'd messed up the grass, and it was a Labor Day weekend. Um, His parents, Tim's parents were gone. Uh, His youngest sibling was in the house with a babysitter. The rest of the family gone, gone school shopping, and Tim wanted to stay home. This boy was like uh, eight or nine at the time, and I was 10. And he wanted to stay and see if he could get his friend come out of the cornfield. I went down there, and the babysitter told me that's where he was, and that's where I went over to, which it was uh, not very far from the house at all, maybe about 30, 40 feet from the house. or his little tree line, and then on the other side of that was the cornfield. And that cornfield went almost all the way up to my house, and the creek went all the way from my house to my neighbor's house. And uh, I get up there, and Tim's sitting up there on a, one of those rubber kickball things and he's in in his underwear and all you know, surrounded around him are all his talk toys and his sisters, Barbie dolls and, you know, whatnot. And he's like, Oh, I've been trying to get him to come out of this freaking corner. He was just out here and you scared him. He was just here and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And you know, at this point I had only seen, you know, this juvenile Sasquatch, you know, like in glances and stuff like that. And every time I saw him before that, he was turning around and running away. And I I thought it was a dog because they he was running on all fours he was pretty small he just looked like a giant dog but uh well tim was playing in this cornfield and uh he said it was um it was just there so i sat around and waited for a couple minutes and he started calling him out coaxing him to come out of the cornfield he pops his head out of the cornfield i couldn't believe it he comes out he sits down he doesn't he just he kind of comes on at all fours and he sits down on his butt the sasquatch and he uh has his arms around his knees you know like all rolled up and he just sits there and watches us. and tim tries to get him to play with a couple Tonka trucks and he pushes him away and he pushes that red kickball towards him and he backhands it the little sasquatch does when it rolls towards him and he hits it so hard it goes in the trees it pops that freaking that kickball and tim thought that was pretty funny i'm going like wow you know, that's a lot of power i'm thinking and uh well, Tim tries to coax him out to come a little bit further out because he's squatting right next to the cornfield. He gets him to come out. If I remember right, he starts pulling on Tim's arm almost right away and trying to pull him into the cornfield. And I'm going, like, oh, I don't know. This is kind of weird. And I tried to get, break the grip of, uh, you know, the, the grip that he had on Tim and I really couldn't. But, um, the Sasquatch just kind of like stopped and looked at me and then releases him and gives me a hug. Or well, at least I thought it was a hug, but like Tim thought he was, you know, like humping me or something. <laughs> he was laughing at me and everything. He almost knocked me out. He uh, like squeezed me so hard. Literally right after that, something made him go back into the cornfield. He takes back off from the cornfield and I, I tell Tim, I'm like, uh, we got to tell, you know, some adult about this and my dad's home. And it was Labor Day weekend, and he's just got a babysitter there. So we went back in and told the babysitter we're going to go up and see my dad about it. And we walked up there as we're walking. The distance between our two houses is probably about a mile, mile and a half. There's a cornfield to the right, and there's a little fence on it. And Tim's going like, oh, he's an orangutan. He won't go over that fence. He won't go over that creek. He's an orangutan. And this kid was reading all his encyclopedias about orangutans, and that's why he had his, his he was stripped down to his underwear. He said, like, um, the researchers would, you know, wear as little clothes as possible so he could get closer. And he really did. He really did think it was an orangutan, that it was safe to hang around. He was trying to convince me of that the whole time we're going up there. And we're trying to figure out about, you know, like maybe a circus lawsuit or something like I heard up in Strawberry Lake. But when we got up to talk to my dad up at my house, he didn't believe us. <laughs> he just laughed at us. And, uh, you know, Tim had to eventually go home and, Go home for dinner and i ate dinner and i want to go down and play in the barns and my you know parents have been seeing this this you know my my dad had seen it down at the uh, the creek eating right? the cows and, and we've been seeing you know large dog-like things so they didn't think it was a good idea for me to go down to the barn so i told them i'd go to the, the um the milking barn which is two stories and i could close off the second story by these uh two ladders had um that went up to the second store story had like little doors on them and I could latch those and all the rest of the doors that faced outwards were like just little uh uh, doors on casters for letting uh you know putting hay bells into the top part so I locked all of those and uh I wasn't even in there for more than a couple minutes and something starts banging on one of those ladder doors and all of a sudden the ladder door smashes open um you know I guess there's a there's a lot more that I've been skipping around you know, there was a part where, where he spoke to, um, he didn't speak. He made a noise that sounded like Mike, too, when Tim was, he, Tim thought he could make him say Mike, and that was another thing I skipped over. But I think he heard that word Mike when the, they were searching for the boy, and he was just imitating that noise because it didn't really sound like he was talking. It was sound like a burp, like he was saying Mike through a burp or something like that, and I, I forgot about that. So we, I uh, called him Mike when I saw him down at the barn when he came in. And I wasn't afraid of him because, you know, Tim said not to be afraid of him, Then he's been around him. So I was kind of relaxed. And I remember the other chimp experience. So I was just kind of, you know, not in any kind of fear, you know, at all. And he went and plopped over. On the far side of the barn, there was two bales of hay. And we had, uh, us kids had made these ropes hanging down with loops on them, on each side, of uh, piles of hay. And uh, he plopped down on one of those, the furthest one away, and the other one was about 10 to 20 feet away from that. And I sat down on that and watched him for a minute. And he had his – he was just sitting normally with his feet in front of him, and he kept on wiggling his feet. And uh, that's kind of what started me going up to him is, like, he kept on wiggling his feet like that. And I was like, man, he's got some weird-looking feet that look like mine. I took my shoes off and put my feet up against his feet, honest to God. And uh, he pushed me when I did that with his feet. And yeah, I rolled backwards. He pushed me so hard into that. I was pretty close to that pile of hay and that rope was there. Before that happened, I, I started uh, making noises before I approached him. So I made a bunch of noises before I approached him. Baby cries, um, dogs, cats. And he would repeat that. And then he finally said that mic thing. But like uh, when I did this one noise, he looked like he was melting when he, when he answered me. So he was doing whatever I did. Like if I did a cat he would do all the noises a cat would do. If he did a dog, he would go bark, bark, wolf, 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 and growl and all that stuff. And I would just do one noise and he would answer with everything else. And then, uh, so it became like, um, I don't know, he was trying to top me and everything I did. So when he pushed me away from, I rolled into that, that, hay. I was going like, well, let's see if what he can do if I can go on this rope. So I put my foot in the rope and I swung around that pile of hay really fast like that. And jumped in the pile of hay after I did that you know kind of did a flip and landing in the the pile of hay and surprisingly he grabs the rope on his side and where he had his pile of hay and his rope with a loop on the bottom of it and he goes upside down he pulls on the rope his body goes completely upside down and his feet grasp the the um you know the four by fours the two by fours of the rafters up there and I'm like oh my god this old orangutan's, orangutan's gonna kill himself and he like Hung there for like, it must have been about 15 seconds, but what he did was he pushed off with his feet on that rope and held that rope and did the same thing I did, only he did like an extra spin, and it was like way faster, and he flipped down and landed on his ass in the middle of the pile, just like I did. And then I did a Gilligan. (laughs) It's about all I can call it, is I I thought it would be cool if I beat my chest, and uh, that's when everything went bad. That was... Well, for me, I mean, I beat my chest when I did that. Well, he did it. He did it. He had to top me. So he, his eyes turned red, glowing red when he beat his chest. And it was the loudest, most, um, it was terrifying. I didn't know what he did. And when he opened his mouth, I saw those, those teeth in the back. And, uh, I knew right down and there that wasn't an orangutan. I turned and started to run and, uh, I tried to get to the uh, the closest door, the haybell door, and unlatch it. I started unlatching. I mean, I might have got out in time if I didn't have to unlatch it. And I pop that open, and no sooner than that, he grabs my my ankle. He's coming after me, and he gets on top of me. And when he's on top of me, he's pinning me down. And then the door is right next to my my left of my head, and uh, it starts banging. And I'm going like, "Well, my dad's finally here." I'm thinking in the back of my head, and then, no, the door is shattered this hay bale door and in comes mom sits down right next to me and uh at this time I'm pinned down he's got his like his feet holding my legs and his arm holding my arms down but he's face to face with me doing this noise like like that or something that's all I can hear I can't move I can't scream I can't do anything I just like I'm sitting there for the whole time and by this time, I'm already you know shirtless and without my shoes. They freaking reached down and ripped my pants off. And when they did that, I had my belt on, and they busted the belt and pulled. When they pulled my pants down, they left a scar from my belly button all the way down to my um, left of my crotch. And just, it didn't tear it open real bad. It just kind of like lanced the skin all the way down in like four claw marks. It was pretty. I still have it. <laughs> um, and about that time. Uh, she looked out 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 that um, that hay bell door and saw my dad coming because uh apparently they saw the two adults coming up behind the barn and he grabbed his the only gun that he had was like a an old browning sixteen gauge with bird shot and it stuff because he'd he'd quit hunting with a gun and he had he had a he had a bone now and he didn't have many bullets either so he he came down there not knowing what to expect, thinking it might be a bear. When he came around the corner of that barn, she saw him and she grabs Mike, the juvenile sasquatch, and immediately jumps out the out the um, haybell door, which is only about like seven, eight feet down to the ground. The um, the first floor was relatively low um, in the milking barn for some reason, and maybe they tried to keep heat in there or something. When she jumped out, Mike immediately reached for me and grabbed my wrist, which pulled me out the door. And i didn't have any clothes on this time <laughs> my pants were shredded and i got i get pulled halfway out the door and then he loses his grip so i'm falling to the ground which is is bad but like i fell completely flat about seven feet into a bunch of grass down there and it knocked the wind out of me really bad plus i didn't i didn't get a chance to scream when i was up there because of whatever they were doing with the infrasound and i couldn't make any noise it all happened so fast when I, when I finally gain my breath, my dad pulls me up and he's standing there and like I'm naked and he's not, not even looking at me. He's just, his jaws dropped down. He's got his gun, but he's not shooting anything. You know, these two big adults over just behind the barn yelling and screaming. And uh, the juvenile Mike, um, the female has, has him still. But when I get up, I scream finally. And for some reason, the juvenile Mike thinks I'm hurt or something like that, or, you know, then I thought, you know, then I thought, but now when I look back, you know, then I thought he was coming back to attack me, but he runs back. And on all fours, he breaks breaks free of mom because he was a little bit too big to be carried around. And uh, when he, and when he, stands up in front of us, like, um, like about five, six feet in front of us, he stands up and he looks at my dad and he looks at me and I'm like freaking out now. I'm screaming, and I don't know what's going on. And my dad, I'm sure, wasn't very calm either, but he takes a couple of shots after the uh, uh, Mike tries to grab my arm and pull me and go with him. He just shoots in the air, um, which was a good thing to do because the gun wouldn't have done anything but piss him off. But when he shot the gun, the adults ran, and Mike ran a little bit, the juvenile Sasquatch, but he only went a little ways, and he started coming back the adults were long gone they were down by the creek so we run back into the barn as he's charging back to us and the doors are and this old milking barn's not there anymore it was pretty old back then and uh, a tornado took it out but it was rickety we went the first door we went in didn't close properly so we went in deeper to the barn and uh closed that door which had a had a lock on it but um it had two busted windows on the on the east and west and then the the uh the facing north there was a great big hole in the the sliding doors there where they would used to put in tractors in for repair there and it had holes everywhere <laughs> but I had a locked door up towards my back and uh, he reaches out through this back he starts coming he starts getting in through this little hole and he reaches through this hole by this door and grabs my arm my dad had to uh, hit his arm with the, the butt of the gun and then he starts screaming and it all goes quiet for a minute and my dad starts looking at one of those holes alongside of the barn, and Mike grabs the gun away from him or tries to grab the gun away from him, grabs the barrel. My dad's fighting with him, has to shoot the gun to, like, get Mike to let his grip go on the gun because he can't get the gun away from him. And uh, after that happens, it got quiet again for a minute, and he throws all his uh, shells on the ground. He's he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. All I got is bird shot. Just then we hear the siren, this cop car is coming down uh, 92nd Street, and it goes to the house first, and my mom's up there. She must have told me we were down at the barns. He comes down to the barns, and he sees Mike coming in that one uh, northern part of the, the, um, the barn where that big hole is, and he's trying to get in there, and he actually cuts him off. And he comes in to see us, and the first thing he says, why is he naked? He's going like I saw that bear out there. Is that a bear? And we're like, well, we didn't even get to tell him why didn't have any clothes. We just like said that's not it. That's not a bear. That's that's something else. And we tried telling him that, and um, it wasn't you know more than a few seconds. When Mike tried to come back in there, and they took a few more shots at him um, towards you know where he was coming in towards the barn. They didn't hit him or anything like that. But uh, it got quiet, and then we heard the ambulance coming. And then the ambulance was redirected down to the the barns and it came down and shut its uh, lights and sirens off. And the cop just said it was a good time to go out to the ambulance that, you know, um, so I was in between my dad and the cop and went out there and uh, we got up to the back of the ambulance, opened up the door and my dad and the cop are standing with their guns at the, the front of the ambulance as I'm getting in the back and Mike comes back out again. And, uh he just stands there and uh they shoot a couple more times in the air and it just doesn't drive him very far he goes around by this little cooling barn and starts peeking around the side for some reason the cop decided to turn on all the sirens of uh both the ambulance and a cop car to scare him away and that worked he, he drove them off and went and went up to the house and they were checking out the ambulance drivers were checking out my my um my cuts that I had, they got a call after we heard some gunshots from neighbors down where the the kid Tim by the cornfield lived down there, and uh, they took off the cop and uh, by this time the um, uh, conservation officer was there, and they both took off down to the neighbors. Um, after the ambulance workers got me patched up. I had to go in to get stitches, but it wasn't it wasn't like I was bleeding all over the place. it wasn't anything really serious. I just had to get a couple stitches. Um well, as we we're leaving the driveway, the the state cop pulled up the and told us that the locals got it and he's going home, that he was on his way home. Then we go down and talk to our, our neighbors down there and, and you know check on them before we go to the hospital, and that's what we did. Went down there and uh I got to see the, you know, um oh there's so much more to this that could go on for hours. There's even a, a nanny cam that picked up the footage of him shooting Mike when he came in the house. That obviously, the government took the van, the nanny cam was there, and a lot of people go like they didn't have nanny cams back then. Well, he made one out of a, a beta camera and a VCR and a, a teddy bear, and it was I'm surprised it, it he he did it because the babysitter was stealing money from him, and uh, <laughs> it picked up everything else and some other babysitter stuff too. But that's another long story. But um, I went down there and um, the 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 family was leaving, packing up, and getting out of there. They, the children and the mother. The cops were there. The government was not there yet. And Tim was out crying by the cornfield because they'd shot his friend. He was bawling and cussing at his dad for shooting him. He said, Oh, well, you didn't have to shoot me. He wouldn't hurt anybody, blah, blah, blah. And he, or, I don't think he really would have, or, you know, on purpose. They left. Their dad, Tim's dad, Tom, stayed there overnight. And the government showed up really late, and they tried looking for the body because when he shot him inside the house, he would made it back out and left a huge blood trail. They didn't find a body. They were going to bring dogs in the morning, some uh, some tracking dogs in the morning, and look for it. So I left and went to the hospital. And, of course, the doctor, uh, I was given a phone number for the government agent to, in case there was any problems. And yeah, the doctor was going like, well, this looks really unusual. It looks like a human did this. But uh, I had to have the doctor call the agent and the agent patched me up or the doctor patched me up. And um, we went home. And the next morning, which I think was Saturday, Tim's dad, Tom, calls me in the morning and says, well, I found your hairy friend. This is real early in the morning. He says, I found him in the creek. Why don't you come see him before I hand him over to the government people? So I walked down there. By the time I got down there, he had shown the neighbors and one of the neighbors oldest kids was at uh, Tim's house. And he told me to come over to the neighbors and the bodies over here. It just so happens that most of the other family of the, uh, of the neighbors next door only had two members that were there to witness this. One was the father and one was the oldest son and, uh, just Tim's dad and I were there. They had Mike's body on a, a picnic table. Um, out behind their property and they had a pole barn out there with a lot of brush alongside of the pole barn and they went out there very long and all of a sudden mike's parents show up right in plain daylight but some reason tom has a gun there and he starts shooting there and drives him off the other guy bill the neighbor um father a, a tractor and everything it was it was a partial like a hobby farm there and they had horses and he had plowed immediately that all that brush down. And then we got to work. They decided they were um, going to inspect the body. And when they saw the teeth, is when everything changed. They opened the jaw. You know, normally if you see their teeth, well, they're alive and uh, they're, they sit towards the back. You would never guess that. You know what happened next is we, we pulled the jaw down, and these teeth would move. Those back ones that I I'm sure were like more like a tusk than a tooth because. They would move up and down with a jaw, and they were just freaking out. Like, even though they were so far back, I don't think they would actually do anything. They're more for show, but they look, you know, like they're pretty menacing. They decided that the government wasn't going to get this body; that they were going to take pictures of it and dissect it right in front of me. Just so happened, the the um, neighbors there were photographers, and they had their own uh, darkroom to do all this uh, camera work. So they do all this, um, they cut them open and I threw up almost immediately because it was just it was horrible. All his guts came out and everything. There was a lot of water inside of him, And um, they made me come back and look. And that's when I saw the you know, they they looked really closely at the heart. And it had a second chamber behind it. I mean, they were really confused it to adults at first, but they thought there was two hearts, but it was one heart with a, a, a secondary chamber and, and uh, the guy Tom his shot with a 30 30 that he took inside the house, which is insane. It actually almost hit a gas pipe too. We found out that out later it was like an inch away from a gas pipe in his house.
1: I missed the part. How did uh Mike get shot and killed?
0: Yeah, I guess I did skip over that. Mike got shot and killed because he he went down to Tim's house, the kid's house, after, you know, all that incident with the with the the sirens and, and stuff at my barn and he started banging on the windows and the and the doors of the, the house and the roof and, and stuff like that, and the adults were trying to um, pull them away from the house adult Sasquatch. And just yelling and screaming, and these the, Tim's parents had just gotten home and let the babysitter go, and this all started to happen. It was, it was still before dusk even. The juvenile Sasquatch Mike broke in through the bathroom window, which had a pump outside the, the bathroom window that, that had like a little a little shack or a little shed that with the pump sat in and if you stood up on that you get closer to the window and he broke into that window went through the bathroom and came in the living room with her all huddled there freaking out with a gun and grabbed tried to grab tim and drag him out of there that's when he when he shot him and uh but he made it back out through the the window and left a huge blood trail but that's how that ended up well um, back to the the dead body thing uh um, they went through all that and taking pictures of it and everything. And, uh, um, you know, the teeth, uh, the gums, the gums and the inside of the mouth were much like, a, um, I don't know if you ever seen a dog that has like, different colors of pink and black in the mouth. Yeah. And the, it's exactly what the and it had a black tongue. Um, the eyes were like, a, like a, um, a golden brown in the iris. But uh, we did find something really weird. I had, uh, one guy said it was blood because his heart it, like failed and pumped all the blood into his eyes even but it looked like i don't know he had some red stuff in his eyes i don't, I don't quite understand how that worked other than that the the lungs and uh, were remarkably huge i don't remember a whole lot about the you know the insides of the sasquatch because i was only 10 years old and i didn't like watching that kind of stuff you know i i had a dad that hunted and skinned rabbits in front of me all the time there's it, just something unnatural about it i left they told me to go distract the, uh, at that time, the, uh, the, the government was getting there and they're next door, but this house had sit it up, was sitting up on a hill and the, uh, the house that they're at was sitting down on a lower part. And you could see down there that they're pulling in with the dogs. And, uh, they told me to go down there and distract them while they hit the body. They cut the hand off and put it in the barn and they, they put the, uh, the body in a hole they had already dug for two of the horses that died from the PBV poisoning. You're allowed to bury them in a, a shallow grave to keep the bugs off of them. And they already had that dug, so they put the body in there, put the horses on top, put some dirt on top of it, flipped over a freaking uh, the picnic table. That's all they did. I mean, it was like not even really hiding. And I went down there, and I distracted uh Mr. Redcorn when he got down there, <laughs> Jerry. And uh, he took me up to the house later. Um, now, what happened after that, is they went looking for the body, and they didn't find it and whatnot. And uh, school came up. And then it was after Labor Day, so it was probably like a, a Tuesday. Well, this one idiot kid, the oldest one, was in junior high. After they developed the pictures, he took him to school. That's what got us busted. Uh, he was in junior high, and I was in elementary school, and I get called to the principal's office in the middle of the day, and they sit me down next to him and he says, you know, you say anything, I'll kick your ass. And I wasn't going to say anything anyway, but you know, they, they had the pictures and they took a picture of me, you know, next to the body with um, Tom and Bill, the other two guys. And the kid took the picture. So they knew that I was involved. They really thought that I you know, had something to do with hiding the body, but they didn't say anything more to me there at school. I went through the whole day after they questioned me and uh, I rolled the bus home. And when I got, towards where we lived, our bus went by their houses first before it got to mine and their houses both had three carpet cleaning vans in each house. And I thought that was kind of strange. And I really thought it was strange when I got up to my house, and there were the same carpet cleaning vans there. And my dad's was home from work. Hmm. And I was getting really suspicious. Even at 10 years old, I was going, this isn't right. And I get off the school bus. I start walking up towards the house. And the shades closed. I'm going like, okay, that would never happen. And uh, I get a little bit closer and I could see a lot of people inside the house. And I I just started running. I knew something was really, really wrong. I just started running down towards the creek. I didn't make it very far. A bunch of nat- uh, National Guard came out of my house. The vans were full of National Guard. And uh, they grabbed me and pulled me inside of the house and started questioning me. And I wouldn't tell them anything. Uh. This went on for quite a while and and uh, uh, Jerry, uh, Mr. John Redcorn, uh, decided that he wasn't going to put up with it anymore and he said, I'll be right back. He goes out to his car, comes back with his briefcase, opens it up and it's all full of uh, sodium pentothal and needles and all that stuff, you know, and all the bottles sitting there and three of the National Guard guys uh, eventually protested, protested after they freaking took my dad's duct tape, duct taped me down to a chair, and he was about ready to give me that stuff, and then drew their guns on him, honest to God, but it was only three of them, and then Jerry drew his freaking gun, and the other, you know, there were several other um, bad National Guard there, and they all had like a stand down for a minute, and they, the three were outnumbered, and they took them out to the truck, and they told me to fight, you well, know, on their way out, and I tried to fight as long as they could, but they gave me the sodium pentothal, waited for it to kick in, and I still wouldn't say a thing. So they left me uh taped up with my hands and ankles because they knew I could run really fast, threw me in the van, took me down to the neighbors, threw me on the ground in front of the, the neighbors that they had standing down there by the pole barn, all of them, Tim, Bill, and uh, the boy, Brad, um... They're all standing there, you know, the, the boys going like, don't say anything. You'll kick your ass, you know, all this. And like, I'm by this time, I'm really drugged up. And uh, all I did was look over towards uh, Tim's dad, Tom, was standing in front of the dirt pile. And there was a couple National Guard next to him. And they all had M-16s with them, and uh, all in full uniform and everything. Plus the, the regular agents. And by the way, all the agents were all Native American. Um. I just looked that way, and they looked over there, and they like, there it is over there. I see fresh dirt. They finally noticed the fresh dirt underneath the picnic table. I don't know, but uh, that's the way it happened, and they found them, and they found the hand, and, and they blamed me for it, and I got my ass kicked by those kids every day for weeks. But that's pretty much the whole story. Except for later, they found out, you know, the Native Americans found out that it didn't have anything to do with, you know, hiding the body. They did, uh, right after that, they took me, you know, that was later. That, that day, they took me in to get hypnotized to forget it. I was the first one to go in. They took me back up to my house and waited for another car to come get him because they just had the cleaning vans there. And then they took me into Grand Rapids and, and uh, had me hypnotized. And even the hypnosis guy, once he found out what it was, you know, the hip, hypnotherapist found out what it was about, started a protest and, and this would happen a lot with this this uh john redcorn guy and he would just pull rank and these people would get so scared they'd do anything you'd say same thing when he got involved with the schools and uh yeah it was, it was awful they uh, there's a lot more to the story of what they found at the neighbor's house and why this is still hidden um but what they did they they changed their mind about me and they came back um A while later and they started and even though i didn't remember who they were (laughs) which is really odd too but they brought back supposedly mike's ashes um and i can't even put it in the time frame of you know where it was or i mean uh on far as how many weeks or months it was after he had died they took me to where they thought you know he lived and spread his ashes and did it like a native american ceremony with freaking all the headdresses on and everything they really take uh, uh sasquatch really seriously and uh they really are protective of them wow <laughs> okay what what i mean yeah. i don't i don't <laughs> know where uh, to start
1: <laughs> yeah that's amazing what were your parents saying about this randy
0: uh which part what about the what, my dad tried to resist the, they were at gunpoint when the when uh the national guard came in and they took him to each each to different rooms. And uh, they eventually took my mother they took uh, after after a while they took my mother, they took uh, all the other kids and their mothers, they left the the fathers alone because they're breadwinners. They didn't hypnotize them, they just threatened them because like, well, the two fathers tried to hide the body. They even after went after the Mike kid and um, tried to get him hypnotized. And uh, they all tried to get attorneys and I don't even know what happened after that because none of them will talk about it. I, I've, I know where all the I I know where who all the agents are. I know who all the cops are. I know everybody that was involved, every single witness and nobody will talk about it. And I've actually found three of the, the, um, the agents because like, you know, they're friendly with me after that. They told me their names. They told me, um, a lot of stuff that, you know, most people don't know about Sasquatch. You said you were playing with a caveman. It was it was a Neanderthal. and They didn't just tell me that. Later, they went to all the tribes, and they took me with them, all the local tribes, all the way up north, all the way up to the UP. Every one of them had told them exactly what happened and told them over and over again what Sasquatch were, what they'd found out in that 40 years from now that everybody would know. Well, that 40 years has come and gone. Nobody knows yet. but. Um, who knows how much they lied to me about, but um, I don't know if that was a lie because I picked it up from them telling other Native Americans.
1: You're listening to the Cryptid Creatures Podcast with Todd and Brian. If you've had an encounter and want to be on the show, email us at infocryptidcreatures.co at or visit our website at www.cryptidcreatures.net.